0: Just do a clip show,
1: it's fine. Clip shows don't really work that well for role <laughs> games. <laughs> no, don't.
0: You are listening to Excess Advantage, a podcast dedicated to the Genesis RPG by Fantasy Flight Games. Excess Advantage is produced fortnightly for your enjoyment and show notes are found at anchor.fm slash excess advantage. And now your host, Christopher.
1: Hello, and welcome to Excess Advantage, Season 2, Episode 4, Masterclass, Part 1. Man, that's a lot of numbers in there. But um, this episode is brought to you by my Proficiency tier patron, Ghost DM. Ghost DM, I hope that this episode not only meets but exceeds your expectations. Back in February of this year, 2019, if you're listening to it live, otherwise, now you know, a few months ago, Scott and I hosted a Genesis masterclass over in the Genesis discord server. Um, and it was all about setting creation. Well, it was supposed to be all about setting creation, but since we had a live audience asking questions, we had, uh, a few tangential questions that were almost sort of related to setting creation, sometimes not, but they were good questions. So we went ahead and fielded them anyway. That chat lasted for over an hour and a half but thankfully I was able to condense it down to the good stuff to only two episodes. So this episode and the next one will be the masterclass episodes. Um, this is something that we hope to do every quarter. So every three months we hope to do a new masterclass. Um, if you are not yet a member of the Genesis discord server, feel free to hop in and let us know what you would like to see us do a masterclass on next, or if you want to hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, or um, Reddit, we're you know moderators on the Facebook group as well as the subreddit. So just get in touch with us somehow. Um, I'll leave a I'll leave links in the description on various uh, places where you can get in contact with us and let us know. Also, I have recently switched my hosting provider, so I am now hosted on Anchor. F- Anchor. fm, and with that, um, if you have manually subscribed to the podcast, you're going to want to go to anchor.fm forward slash excess advantage, and that will get you a new RSS feed, because in a few months, the old RSS feed is going to go away. But if you subscribe through Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or any of that, all of that is taken care of in the background. The feed has been updated already for you, and you don't have to do anything. It's only if you manually subscribed. So um, be sure to update your feed if you haven't and if you need to. Otherwise, I apologize for this little interlude, but we are going to go ahead and get right into the uh, episode. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first ever Genesis Masterclass. Your hosts today are going to be me, Christopher, and joining me today is... Um, Scott. I me as DrainSmith. Hey, Scott. How are you doing today? Good. How are you, man? Oh, I I can't complain. It's a wonderful, wonderful day. I mean, it's snowing outside, but it's warm inside. Um, So today is a Genesis Masterclass. We're going to be discussing setting creation. The first thing we want to talk about is for, you know, this was a question that was asked actually when we proposed the idea. It was asked over on Reddit, what are your qualifications to teach your Masterclass? And I figured that would be a great opening line because honestly, we have none.
0: What gives you the right to do this?
1: We are not paid game designers. I mean, I'm printed, but I haven't gotten paid in a while because I did my stuff and was done. But you know, we're not um, Fantasy Flight employees. We don't have our names as writers, playtesters, editors, whatever of any book. We're just people, and we want to engage the community because we are part of the admin team with Sky Jedi, Corlal, uh, and Eowarian, The five of us, and we decided that it was time. Well, I decided that it was time to do more with the community than just chat and moderate. So since no one else was stepping up to do something like this, I decided, what the heck? I'm I'm gonna start it and see if someone will come along for the crazy ride. Oh, that was me. I came along for the ride. Yep, you sure did. Because no one else no one else wanted to do it. So what are your qualifications for teaching this crazy class?
0: Um let's see. So I think my content will speak for itself. I, I hope I think maybe most people that are in the Genesis community in some way are are familiar with the things that I've made. And uh, if not, just look it up. See, you tell me. Tell me how
1: qualified I am. Obviously, Scott has put out quite a lot of uh, things of good quality. um, And I've put out a few things of hopefully good quality as well. And we will be using our existing content as kind of touchstones as we go through the questions that have been asked. Because obviously we've done this before at least once, if not several times. but. The biggest thing is for um, when you're creating a setting. A few weeks ago, I started reading the Worlds of Android book in preparation of Android Channel the Beanstalk coming out because I heard it was amazing and makes a great coffee table book. And one of the things that stuck out to me in the introduction was what I'm going to call the setting seed is that Android came about asking a question, what if robots and clones were cheap labor and other people couldn't compete? And that's kind of, you have these two competing firms, one selling robot labor, one selling clone labor, and they kind of have a corner on on the labor market. What does that future look like? And so that is the, what I'm calling the story or the setting seed for Android. It all built out of that. So before even setting down to make new skills or come up with careers or give your setting archetypes or species, the first thing you need to do is come up with that seed. What makes your setting unique? Why would people want to play in this world? And since I've talked a lot, I'll go ahead and throw it over to Scott. You have put out one full setting book, right? That's correct. And a half. I have, I have a half setting book as well, Just not very good. If it's not 100% complete, it doesn't count. That's what you keep telling me.
0: That is correct. Absolutely. Uh, so my setting book, Something Strange, is a modern horror setting. And the basic setting seed for it was Monster of the Week, right? There's, there's another RPG called Monster of the Week. It's a, it's a known trope for a lot of TV shows like Luffy the Vampire Slayer, Supernatural, gosh, a whole bunch of other stuff just like that. Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, exactly. The main characters are come up against a new monster of some kind every episode. So that was, that was the basic idea. And so you flesh everything out around that. And That's a pretty easy one super easy because you've got tons of examples it's just the modern world and you're just throwing some some additional things into it and it's easy to describe to someone
1: and my setting um i have a home group that i'm running in a fantasy game you know my setting seed was there's an old order of knights that were autonomous compared to the um the local baronies and political units that kept the peace Kind of like a cross between the Dragon Riders from Aragon and the Jedi Knights from Star Wars. But for some reason, they disappeared two generations ago. And what if the PCs found out what happened and tried to rebuild that order? So my entire story is built off of that one idea. So what kind of land does this story take place in? Well, spoiler alert, one of the um, then-small polities decided they wanted to take over the world and killed off the knights. So now they are a huge superpower in the world that we play in. And so, why were they destroyed? Because they would prevent the uh, current superpower from becoming what they are. So they had to go. And so, that's just where everything is kind of coming from. But so, my seed is um, Dragon Riders slash Jedi Knights in a fantasy world where it is a magical gift in order to be able to do this.
0: So so the specific question we got that that we're trying to answer here is is uh world building where to start. And really the start is what is your idea? Like start with that idea, describe it in as few sentences as possible. You got to be as succinct as possible when you describe this. You got to be able to tell someone and they got to be able to have a a vague idea at least of what you're talking about before you start building all the other pieces.
1: Yeah, and um just to kind of build on that is all you need is a vague idea. You don't need to have specifics down. You just have to know where your setting is coming from, where it's going. If you're the type of person who needs to have a lot of stuff nailed down before the game starts, you can do that. But you don't need a whole heck of a lot, especially if you do a session zero where you sit down with your players and discuss what they want out of the game so you can do collaborative world building. For um, my Zephyr Knights game, Yeah, we sat down and I said, okay, here's the story seed. The prologue session is going to be you guys discovering a long lost uh, castle outpost of the Zephyr Knights and gaining their power. They have been gone for two generations, nobody really knows why, but this is where you're starting, this is what's going to happen, let's build the world around that. So it's not super important to have every single thing nailed down. You know, you don't even need to have all of your mechanical bits set up because you might be like, oh, hey, this is a fantasy world that needs dwarves, elves, and halflings. But all of your players are like, well, halflings are dumb. Gnomes are awesome. We'll use them instead. So it kind of saves you from doing some unnecessary work. Like I said, start small. Talk with your players because I like to do collaborative world building. But if that's not you, then you don't have to. But I would recommend at least talking with your players, find out what they want so you can build what they want as opposed to what you think they're going to want. And then once you're done with that, come up with two or three cornerstone things of your setting. Like I said, what is that seed? But then flesh them out a little bit more um, and then just build on that. And I prefer the start small, build later avenue of world building. Some people prefer to get the big picture and then drill down smaller. Whatever works best for you. It's really a personal thing at this point most important thing is that's that story seed make sure that your players are on board with it and if you really feel up to it come up with a twitter pitch you know something that could fit in your 280 character limit for twitter and just go from there
0: in fact i believe the genesis book has a nice little settings page where you can you can jot all these things down and it kind of guides you through all the things that you should you should have to find before you get to the nitty-gritty mechanical parts.
1: That is true. You can find it on page 137 of your Genesis Core rulebook, and it's just a one-page thing. Um, you know, what is your world? What is the setting and genre? What are the tones? It's got three lines for your overview, which is perfect for that Twitter pitch. Uh, what skills, major factions, just a bunch of important high-level stuff that you can use to start forming that setting, and then you can take each one of those points that you come up on that sheet and then drill down specifically and flesh it out as needed.
0: Exactly. And I want to point out how little mechanical stuff is actually on this setting sheet. You got skills, and you can name the species in it, but that's it. All the other stuff is is fluff. It's, It's the things you've got to describe about the world. That's all the world building before you get to any mechanical bits.
1: And even then, the species is just... Elf, dwarf, gnome, halfling—that kind of thing. It's not. Oh, this is a an android. He has this stats, comes with this ability, starts with this. No, it's just give me a name of your species and tell me what it is. Yeah, short description
0: about them. Not they all have uh, expert ability in bow. It's like no, that's that, that's not talking about them. I'm talking about you know their culture, how they are as a people, world build.
1: Yeah, start start big, work your way down to the nitty gritty, or you know start with one specific thing and build up from there. Either way you don't hit the mechanical bits until later on. But once you do hit the mechanical bits, I did talk about this in my podcast, um, Excess Advantage, I believe it was episode 15. I have a specific order of way that I like to do things, and I go into more in depth in that episode. But in brief, first thing I do is come up with the archetype or species, then the skills, then the careers, then the talents, then the gear. And I go in that specific order because archetypes or species tells your players who they can be, where they come from. You know, choosing um, an elf in Realms of Tarnoff says a lot about your character and makes it a lot different than saying, oh, I am a Tenma clone in Shadow of the Beanstalk. It gives you an idea of where your character came from. And then skills tells me what my character can do careers tells me what my character is doing right now you know i'm a my character is a cop my character is a fighter my character is a scoundrel my character is a mechanical tech you know that kind of thing then your talents tell me what special things my character can do because now that i know who my character is now I know what they can do how they do it talents is how i break the rules and then at the end gear well my fighter needs a sword to stab someone with or they need an assault rifle to shoot somebody with I put it at the end because it's not that important as telling you where your character came from, who they are. It's just how they get stuff done, and that's kind of less important, but I'm not saying it's not important, and I'm just going to shut up now because you can just listen to episode 15, and i will tell you everything better. That is true.
0: I, I actually disagree with you on one point in this, is that I like to define the skills before I define the archetypes, and that's the only difference, I'll do those two things in a different order. Um, I might define them in a book in that order, archetype, skills, careers, talents, career. But then I'll I'll make the skills first because I feel like that is going to determine possibly more things that my archetypes are going to take or get as their their starting skills, right?
1: Yep, that makes sense.
0: Right, and uh, sometimes the players may need to know what those skills are before they choose their archetypes. So I'll define those first then move on to archetypes.
1: Yeah. Um, an important note I want to put out there is that just because that's the order I do things, you know, Scott says he does a little bit differently. As long as it works for you and feel free to jump around, like make one or two archetypes, then be like, okay, now that I have a base idea, let me work and do like, figure out, you know, my three or four new skills. You know, let me come up with a few careers. I mean, oh, I have this great idea for a piece of equipment. Let me go ahead and, and write that up. So you can jump around. People like lists, you know, top seven reasons why your neighbor hates you click here to find out is it doing a podcast on sunday afternoon yeah probably
0: (laughs) all right i think we've beaten that horse
1: yep i think we have as well
0: tone so so someone asked about tone shaping the settings tone really page 241 we'll talk about this different different tones in which your your setting can take so it's like you know horror or intrigue mystery pulp you know these kinds of things are the tone of the overall like kinds of stories you're gonna be telling in your setting and there's a lot of good examples in the book on how to do that I can't think of anything more to really to really do uh, each one has their own thing like horror is just to is to use the fear rules um, really drive home certain things like during gameplay
1: and an important thing to remember about tone is that the tone is genre independent you can have right going with a horror example you can have fantasy horror you can have sci-fi horror you can have modern horror you can have weird, weird war horror it's not glued to one specific um one specific genre in your weird war you could focus on the horror of war and use a horror tone or you can be like oh hey we've got these really cool characters, we're going to make them be shining beacons in the darkness and use the superhero or pulp tone instead. Or you could combine them all, you know, they're not as um, independent as uh, genre is, which is something important to figure out for your setting, what genre does it fall under. But that's usually pretty self-evident. I want to have elves and dwarves and gnomes, oh my, well it's probably going to be fantasy.
0: Also your tone is necessarily always there for your setting. your tone can change game to game.
1: That's a really good point, yeah.
0: So just because you're doing a horror setting doesn't mean every single session needs to be horror. Sometimes you can do some intrigue. Sometimes you can do some pure humor.
1: Sometimes you need that humor. And everyone is very much in favor of doing themed uh, games during holiday season. So most people are going to do a horror-themed game during Halloween. A lot of people are going to do a light-hearted christmas type game where you after rescue santa from the tarasque or something and during valentine's day you have a love story and whatnot so the time of year type of um uh game you had previously because after a super dark um downturn with every character making like five horror checks and failing three of them it might be time to lighten it up and do the the relaxation um vacation episode that a lot of tv shows like to have and obviously something goes wrong while on vacation, but it's not horrible wrong. It's just something is amiss. Uh, next question was creating archetypes, which for me on my list is number one. But um, I've talked a lot, so I'll let Scott take the first go at this one.
0: Okay. So the question was just creating archetypes and settings. So it's really, really general. And we've got plenty of podcast material on that. But the, the first thing I would say if you're going to be creating any archetype is to... Don't invent mechanics, even with settings. Don't invent mechanics until you absolutely must, especially if it's your first setting that you're making. You're actually getting down on paper. Uh, Steal from other stuff as much as you possibly can. We got three books now of content. Use as much of it before you start making up your own things. You can just take things whole hog and rename them, right? So you've got the average human. Android did this. They just took the average human and renamed it natural. Dang, that was lazy but it's perfect and it works.
1: And um, Realms of Terranoth did the same thing. In the Weird War setting, I think it was, or maybe the Steampunk, they had the animalistic human or the mongrel archetype. Oh, right. And the two abilities that the mongrel had was for shapeshifting. Well, they took that and renamed them into shapeshifting and shapeshifting improved as Tier 1 and Tier 2 talents in Realms of Terranoth.
0: Yep. I took those and I totally... Tore them down and called it my werewolf talent for something strange.
1: Exactly. So, you know, same effect, different name. And the um, the mongrel ability versus shape-shifting talent is a uh, kind of important distinction that I'm just going to mention here now since we're talking about them is when building an archetype, never, ever, 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 under any circumstances ever, like only Sith deal in absolutes, never, give them a talent, period, full stop. If you want them to have the ability talent provides, call it an ability, change the name. Especially for talents that are, you know, tier 2, tier 3, maybe even tier 4. Because otherwise you're telling them, okay, your character has this tier 3 talent. Once you get your three tier 1 talents and your two tier 2 talents, you don't get a tier 3 because you already have it. You have to build out more of your pyramid before you can get that talent that is punishing a player as opposed to giving them an ability that might have the same effect but a different name, and it frees up that spot on the talent pyramid so they have the choice of what goes in that Tier 3 slot.
0: Mm, Yeah, I think I've seen that a couple times. People just the actual talents and actually say this counts as a talent. No, that's that's not necessary.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that comes from um, Star Wars because in there you didn't have a talent pyramid, and so it just said this species starts with a rank in this talent because you just got uh, the, the um you got the benefit of it without needing to you know slot it in anywhere but in genesis you have specific slots for it and so you can't uh, you shouldn't i i'm a big proponent of saying never do it you can't do it but you can people do it but they shouldn't
0: yeah like do whatever you want with this game like I don't care.
1: Yeah, but don't expect me to say, oh, that's a really good setting you have there when you give them talents because you're screwing over your players. Uh, Defrost says that every time they think they need to add a mechanic, the community does a great job of showing me how Genesis already handles that mechanic. Ask about your ideas before making something new.
0: Absolutely. Oof, that is so just...
1: It's already there. I mean, with the amount of people we have, like over a thousand people in this server alone, and then there's a Facebook group, there's a subreddit, there's the official forums. Go ahead and ask around and be like, hey, I'm looking for a mechanic that does this. Maybe they'll find something. Maybe there's already something. But if you don't ask, you never know. And this is part of why I always um, do collaborative world building, because I'm a lazy GM. If I can have someone else do the work for me, I will. And if you ask around to the community, we're happy to do work for you. We're crazy like that. Like, I don't understand why I won't do the work for myself. But if someone else asks, I'm like, yeah, I totally can help you there. Yeah,
0: totally. It reminds me when I was working on um, my D&D fifth edition, the Lost Minds of Fandelver conversion, and I was trying to stat up the uh, staff of defense that one of the car- one of the adversaries has. It. And uh, I was trying to do all this, this stupid stuff. I showed it to you, Christopher. And you're like, oh, just give it just give it the uh the quality of, of defense and like like two or something. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. I don't have to like do a bunch of crazy mechanics of spell effects or anything. It's already handled with item qualities.
1: Dogos are big puppers said, Did I get pyramids wrong or could you have a two 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 instead of four three two one? And sorry to say, Dogos, but yes, you did get it wrong. The talent pyramid requires more below than above so in order to have yeah um a tier two talent you need two tier one in order to have your second tier two talent you need three tier ones so you need one more at the tier below in order to get it so in order to get a tier three you need at least two tier twos which requires at least three tier ones so in order to get that tier five it's five it's one two three four five
0: yeah sam explained this well when we did the uh the dev interview uh the original Graphic visualization of the talent pyramid was an actual pyramid. So you would have to, you'd have to build it from the bottom up, right? So your, your lower level level of tier one has to be enough to support the next tier and so on.
1: The graphic on the talent pyramid part of the character sheet is a little confusing to understand, but once you understand it, it makes perfect sense. So the left-hand column is your Tier 1 talents, and then the next column is your Tier 2, then 3, then 4, then 5. So in order to get that first Tier 2 talent...
0: You have to have two Tier 1s. Right. Is that? Do we cover creating archetypes? That was, that was pretty...
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is follow the advice and the core rulebook for creating a species or archetype.
0: One other point about that is archetypes and species should be as generic as possible. Um, I've seen a lot of people do... Like, really specific ones. Like, um, it was like, you know, there's only like five people that are like this. Like, no, no, no. And uh, they're trying to use the archetype or species to get, like, a ninja is the archetype. It's like, well, well, no, the ninja is more like a, a career. It's like what a person is doing. It doesn't really talk about what they are, as a core person, are best at right what really represents them as a, in a general sense
1: yeah your archetype is the is the general category you fit under using the um, shadow of the beanstalk because we all have our pdf for that open right ooh, ooh not until fifth oh too soon from um what we saw on the uh ffg live stream and what everyone has sh- shared with the community from those who have their books you have your normal human you have your clone um, loony are those who grew up on the moon. Bioroids, if you're a machine, um, I'm missing like two. Help me out here, Scott. Open your book.
0: It is Natural Bioroid Clone, uh, Cyborg, Gmod, Loony.
1: Cyborg and Gmod were the two I was missing. So those are basic bare bones, what your character is or who, where your character comes from. You know, Gmod is a genetically modified person. That's where they came from. They came from in fat, whereas a loony came from the moon. But if you want to be a ninja, ninja is a career. It gives you stealth as a career skill. It gives you melee light as a career skill. It gives you whatever. Most other games would call them classes, and that's what your career is. Broadstrokes is your archetype or species. You know, in fantasy games it's easy because you have elves, dwarves, um, goblins, gnomes, orcs, whatever. Species are easier. It's when you're dealing with archetypes that kind of blurs the line. I'm just going to go ahead and answer this question that Chief Fire Ivy asked. Uh, They're planning on running a homebrew, but the setting heavily limits vehicles because it takes place largely in giant skyscrapers. Is it too limiting for my players to not be able to use vehicles? And I 100% agree with defrost. Um, Nope. If you don't want them, don't use them. Especially considering vehicle rules are in the optional rules category of the book, so are you gonna are your players gonna be upset because um, your homebrew campaign doesn't let them use magic? Well, no, magic is an optional rule. Not every game is gonna feature them, so you don't need vehicles. You know, if you're playing a, a game set in the Star Wars universe or something similar and not have vehicles, it would seem weird, but like even most modern day games you don't need vehicle rules you just you have a fast car you have a segway you have a bicycle you don't need to bust it out unless you're doing formula 1
0: uh flame one 2 says yeah just don't don't leave the the driving and piloting skills in there uh make sure your players know that you are not using vehicles and so they don't select uh driving and piloting uh, as skills or or try and take a career that has that as a career skill yeah in my modern setting like we have vehicles and stuff and i have a player that took piloting and you know she doesn't get to use it that much but i'm not using the vehicle rules a whole lot because they're not they're not in crazy vehicle combats or vehicle chases they'll they'll they will do it every once in a while yeah
1: and a big thing with vehicles and this extends to the hacking rules as well it's an optional rule in the core rulebook and given um a lot more space in shadow the beanstalk but simple skill checks cover most of it so Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of vehicle use, but someone might want to have one rank in driving or piloting depending on the setting genre, just in case. So when they hijack a car to make a getaway, you don't need to know the speed of the vehicle, you don't need to know its whole trauma threshold, you just need to know whose vehicle is faster and give that person a boost die or two and come up with some sort of chase mechanic. So the faster one, if they get a success, they increase the range band difference between them and the people they're chasing by one every two successes is an additional range band once the fleer you know once the prey gets beyond extreme range they've escaped or once the the hound catches the prey and they are engaged then the chase is over and you're in a different scene so just because you use vehicles doesn't mean you need vehicle rules
0: yeah, the only reason we have vehicle rules is because of our Star Wars roots.
1: Yeah. Right? They already had it there, they might as well throw it in for six pages. Yeah,
0: exactly. Okay. Does that feel covered?
1: I think that feels Those covered.
0: Archetypes archetypes
1: going going on. <sighs>
0: All right. We have a uh, okay. This this uh this weird question. Uh specific archetype. How would you create a liquid character with any archetype that you have an idea for? First ask what specifically makes them special. And how do you want this to play out in your setting? And so you ask other questions about this, like are they always liquid? Are they able to just achieve a liquid form? What are any of the benefits or drawbacks to that? And then you can start making the one or two small abilities that will cover that effect. And then you have to balance that with your other archetypes. If a liquid character is just always liquid and they have this crazy ability to just not take damage and can fit in any volume, right, any shape of their volume, and they can just slip through holes and cracks and, you know, they can do whatever, Uh, then your other archetypes need to have similarly powerful abilities to make them feel useful and unique in the setting.
1: My personal take on it is, kind of like Scott said, figure out why the archetype is different than others, and then figure out how you can do that mechanically. Sometimes it just means their free skill is in coordination because they're semi-liquid, they're amorphous, but they're solid enough that, you know, they don't like have an increased um soak or anything like that because, you know, maybe they're like Odo and that they're almost always solid. And sometimes they take on their liquid form Oh, oh no. sometimes you're gonna to want to just look through what species and archetypes have been already printed either by the community or the official ones by fantasy flight and see if there's an ability or a similar archetype that kind of sticks out at you um, sometimes it has less to do with the archetype and more to do with the talents and other things for example on my podcast, I was talking with um, Adam from, from the Force Majeure podcast, and he was telling me that he was having a heck of a time coming up with a way to mechanically represent a character who was literally a horde of rats in a spacesuit and wanted to <laughs> be able to have an ability of like sending some of his rats out to scout and coming back. I'm like, well, then there are two heroic abilities in Realms of Terranoth that pretty much cover that. Um, all the facts let you know things about what's going on right here and um, foretelling, I think is what it's called, that you can ask the GM <laughs> three questions that your character has literally no way to find out and they have to answer yes or no. So sometimes it's less about the archetype and about and more about the other accoutrement that you grab for the character. You know, If you're using heroic abilities... What heroic ability do they have, and how can you represent that as um, a liquid form? For example, for a liquid character, take the paragon heroic ability for coordination. So anything you're doing with coordination, when you're liquid for those three rounds um, per adventure, you can ignore one difficulty die. When you're liquid, it's easier to do coordination things. So you have this heroic ability that you are using to represent your liquid form.
0: Also, a lot of people have the, the end result in mind when they're creating an archetype rather than the beginning of that. So like for Odo, for example, he was liquid, but he wasn't really good at shape-shifting for a very long time, right? He got better and better at it as he matured, like we all do, right? Mm-hmm. So your archetype for that needs to be relatively weak um, with that control of that ability. And then you can have talents or other like heroic abilities that then expound on that and make it more powerful.
1: One other thing you can do is just take a look at some of the adversaries and the abilities that they have and see if something uh, makes sense for what you want to do. You know, as a liquid character, maybe take the Swarm ability if your character is always a puddle of goo. If you're a slime, then it's very similar to the Swarm. You know, you don't take damage from, you don't take as much damage from direct hits, but AoEs hurt more. You You can fit into small spaces and just figure out what XP you would charge for that. And I think the most important thing is to make sure your player knows that, hey, we're spitballing this, trying something new, so I might change, you know, I might have to charge you more XP or give you some back if it if I don't think that it was appropriately costed kind of thing. But um, I do want to hit on a question that Woozy Hummingbird asked in the chat. I uh, started playing D&D a while ago and just got into Genesis. It's awesome. Uh, my question is, how do you stop a murder hobo that you can't kick out but doesn't get how he is a murder hobo and won't listen? You have to talk to the player. There is no in-game rule or mechanic that will cure a player of not following the social contract. That's that's true. So yeah. session yeah. zero, talk to the player, let them know that there is a misalignment of goals. This is not a murder-hobo game. This is a game unlike D&D, where consequences matter, like Scott was saying. But just tell them this Behavior's not okay. Talk to them, be like, look, this is the fun that the game is designed to have. This is the fun we want to have. This is the fun you're having. This is not a Venn diagram. My circle's over in this corner. Your circle's over in that corner. How can we fix this? You need to talk to your players as players. The game mechanics will not fix a broken player. That being said, um... Page 126. Okay, page 126 of the core book gives you a great session zero information of what type of things to talk about and how to approach it and even if you've already been playing for three sessions then just stop and be like look next session we're getting together we have to discuss this this is a problem that needs solving before we continue but you did say that you can't kick the player out
0: and they won't listen
1: and they won't listen so like there are very few reasons why you can't kick them out like if they're your younger sibling and your parent is making you play with them then yes you can't kick them out Even if they're a good friend, this is the fun we're having, this is the fun you're having. We're not having the same fun, so this game isn't for you. Next game we'll have your kind of fun and we'll play with you. A lot of people say they can't kick them out when you actually can, you just don't want to. And I'll be honest, I've been there before, I think we've all been there before. You have to have an out-of-character conversation with the players at the table. It's the only way to come to a reasonable and actionable conclusion to it. And that is all we have time for today. Um, Be sure to join us next time for the exciting conclusion in two weeks' time of this uh, masterclass episode. And remember, regardless of success or failure of your role, always check for Excess Advantage.
0: You've been listening to Excess Advantage. If you'd like to leave comments on today's show, you can download the Anchor app on your smartphone, navigate to Excess Advantage, and click on Message to leave a voice message. You can find the host on Twitter at C double underscore Beck. If you like what you hear and want to spread the word, you can leave a rating or review on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe. It'll help others find us. If you want to join the growing discord community, you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash advantage. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. But I'll just, I'll just smell this delicious book I have uh, that you don't have. Just
1: it's okay. Uh, it's okay. I'm picturing mm, what I'm going to do so to you nice. as I take that book so out of glossy, your hands. It's so glossy.
0: Beautiful feeling. This know, is actually a really nice book. It gets way higher quality than the other two. All right. Also, don't talk bad about halflings again.
1: It was just an example. Everyone <laughs> knows that halflings are better than gnomes. That's true. That's true. All
0: right.